Good evening, everyone. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in to Church Online. My name is Christian. We're going to get ready to pray over the tithes and offerings. See, anytime the topic of tithes and offerings comes up, it always reminds me of the time that a youth stepped up and offered when there was 5,000 plus hungry people. And I love that story because I put myself in that place. And I think, if I only had that much, I'd probably tell myself, what am I going to do with this? It's, you know, barely enough to feed, you know, me and a couple of my friends. What am I going to do with all of this? But he stepped out in faith. He gave what he had, and Jesus took it and multiplied it. And we still know about it today. The amazing thing is that when we give our offering, the Lord takes it and multiplies it and performs miracles with it. And with that being said, there are four ways to give. The first one is online on www.newopilo.org. The second, right on your smartphone, is our NHC app. You can always physically mail it to 840 Kupula Road, or you can text the number right below me to set up an online account to give. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray over this tithe, I pray over the heart of the givers, Lord, that whatever is given, that you take and you would multiply and you would take it and do miracles in a time where we need it most. Thank you so much for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to continue in our series where we journey throughout the Bible and Pastor Lindsay is going to give a message book of Amos. So let's take a look at this video that explains the major points in Amos. The book of the prophet Amos. Amos was a shepherd and a fig tree farmer who lived right near the border between northern Israel and southern Judah. Now the north had seized its independence about 150 years earlier, remember 1 Kings chapter 12, and it was currently being ruled by Jeroboam II, a successful military leader. He won lots of battles and new territory for Israel, and he generated lots of wealth. But in the eyes of the prophets, he was one of the worst kings ever. His wealth had led to apathy, and he allowed idol worship for the gods of Canaan, which in turn led to injustice and the neglect of the poor. And it got to the point where Amos could couldn't take it anymore. He sensed God calling him to go trek up north to Bethel, an important city that had a large temple, and start announcing God's word to the people. And this book is a collection of his sermons and poems and visions uttered over the years. They were compiled later to give God's people a sense of his divine message to the northern kingdom, and it's a message we still need to hear today. The book has a fairly clear design. Chapters 1 and 2 are a series of messages to the nations and Israel. Then chapters 3 to 6 are a collection of poems that express Amos' message to the people of Israel and its leaders. Chapters 7 through 9 contain a series of visions that Amos experienced that depict God's coming judgment on Israel. Let's just dive in. So the book opens with a series of short poems that accuse all of Israel's neighbors of violence and injustice. And this is kind of odd because the book's opening line said that Amos was going to speak against Israel. But watch how this works. As Amos is naming all of these neighboring nations, you can go look at a map and see that he's creating a circle. And when he's done, Israel lies right in the center, like a target in the crosshairs. And on Israel, Amos unleashes a poetic accusation that's three times longer and more intense than any of these others. He accuses Israel's wealthy of ignoring the poor and allowing grave injustice in their land, specifically by allowing the poor 
were to be sold into debt slavery and then going on to deny any of these people legal representation. And this, Amos asks, is this the family that was once denied justice and enslaved in Egypt? The family that God rescued from oppression and slavery? The party's over, Amos says. God is done putting up with you. And so the opening of the next section explains why. God says, I chose you, Israel, from among all the families of the earth. This is an allusion to Genesis 12, how God had called the family of Abraham to become God's blessing to all of the nations. And so then God says, so this is why I will punish you for all of your sin. Israel had a great calling which came with great responsibility, and so their sin and rebellion brings great consequences. Now this section brings together a lot of Amos's poems, and you'll see a few key themes repeated over and over. So first, he's constantly exposing the religious hypocrisy of Israel's wealthy and their leaders. And he describes how they faithfully attend the religious gatherings, giving offerings and sacrifices, all the while neglecting the poor and ignoring injustice. And Amos says it's all a sham, that God actually hates their worship because it's totally disconnected from how they treat people. God says a real relationship with him will transform a person's relationships. And so Amos's call to true worship is to let justice flow like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. Now, these two words, they're super important for Amos and actually all of the prophets. So righteousness, or in Hebrew, tzedakah, refers to a standard of right, equitable relationships between people no matter their social differences. And justice, or in Hebrew, mishpat, refers to concrete actions that you take to correct injustice and create righteousness. And so both of these are to permeate the life of God's covenant people like a rushing stream fills a dry riverbed. The next theme is Amos's repeated accusations of Israel's idolatry. So remember, when the northern kingdom broke away from southern Judah, their king built two new temples to rival Solomon's in Jerusalem, and he placed a golden calf in each. Remember 1 Kings chapter 12. Since then, Israel had only accumulated more idols, worshiping the gods of sex and weather and war. And in the prophet's view, the worship of these gods always led to injustice because these gods don't require the same degree of justice and righteousness as the God of Israel, not to mention that these gods were immoral themselves, not the God of Israel. He's different. So he can say in one place, seek me that you may live. And then right after that, say to Israel, seek good, not evil that you may live. So true worship of the creator God of Israel, it's synonymous with doing good, with generosity and with justice. And so the final theme in these chapters is that because Israel and its king have rejected Amos and the other prophets, God will send the day of the Lord. This is a great and terrible act of justice on Israel. And specifically, Amos predicts that a powerful nation will come and conquer and decimate their cities and take the people away into exile. And we know his prediction came true. Some 40 years later, the Assyrian Empire swooped in and did exactly as Amos had said. The book closes with a series of visions that Amos experienced and their symbolic depictions of the coming day of the Lord. So he sees Israel devastated by a locust swarm and then by a scorching fire and then they're being swallowed up like overripe fruit. And in the final vision, Amos sees God violently striking the pillars of Israel's great idol temple at Bethel and the whole building comes crumbling down. It's an image of God's justice on the leaders and the gods of Israel. Their end has finally come. 
But then, all of a sudden, in the final paragraph, we see a glimmer of hope. It picks up this image of Israel as a destroyed building, and God says that out of the ruins, he will one day restore the house of David. In other words, he's going to bring the future messianic king from David's line, and he will rebuild the family of God's people, which, surprisingly, we're told, is going to include people from all of the nations. All of the devastation caused by Israel's sin and God's judgment will that day be reversed. Now, this final paragraph is super important. It's the only sign of hope on the other side of judgment. And it helps us see how this book is exploring the relationship between God's justice and his mercy. If God is good, he has to confront and judge evil among Israel and the nations. But his long-term purposes are to restore his world and build a new covenant family. And so through Amos's words, we still today hear his call to learn from Israel's hypocrisy and disaster and to embrace a true worship of this God, which should always lead to justice and righteousness and loving our neighbor. And that's what the book of Amos is all about. You know, I have to be super honest with you. When Pastor Sheldon asked me to teach on the book of Amos, my first thought was, oh, okay, Amos. I've never really done a full study on the book of Amos, but I've read it multiple times. Um, And the second thing I thought was, yes, nine chapters. This is going to be great. Short, awesome. No, nine chapters that are not easy to swallow And they aren't pretty or fun either. And so after tonight's message, if you have any comments or complaints, you can send them to psheldon at newhopehilo.org.com. P-S-H-E-L, just kidding. Not a real email address. Anyway, let's jump right in. So in the book of Amos, just like the video we saw, Amos focuses our attention in the beginning to look at the sins of Israel. But not only the sins of Israel, he also directs our attention to look at the sins of the surrounding nations. Now, why does he do that? You see, God had chosen Israel to be his people. He had chosen them to be a group that would be a blessing and influence to the nations around them. However, the nations around them eventually became the ones that would influence Israel. And I actually want to take a second and kind of unpack this a little bit because in Israel's history, they were known to look at the nations around them and desire what they had. They have a king. We want a king. And they kept doing that, and they wanted what everybody else had. And the reason why I want to stay here for a little bit is because I believe if we're not careful, we can do the same thing. We can start to look at everyone around us and desire what they have, especially now in this season. Everybody's on social media all the time, and you look at what people have or what they're doing, and it's so easy for us to desire that. It's so easy if we're not guarding our minds and our hearts, even our eyes and our ears. It's so easy to become influenced by the world around us. And so tonight, I want to challenge us right up front with this question is, what is influencing you? Where does your influence come from? Because I'm going to be really honest, if your influence is not from the word, then you are being influenced by the world. I'm going to say that again. If you are not being influenced by the word, then you are being influenced by the world. And it's super important for us to understand this because Israel was influenced by the world around them. 
so much so that the more they became influenced by everyone around them, the harder it became for them to correctly relate to God. And to not only correctly relate to God, but to correctly relate to his word. In other words, it made it harder for them to worship God. And the same thing can happen to us. The more we become influenced by the world around us, the more it becomes harder to relate to God and to relate to his word, to correctly relate to him. You see, when we can correctly relate to God and his word, it changes us, it renews us, and it transforms us, and it becomes evident in our relationships, becomes evident in the way that we relate to others. And this couldn't be any more true for the nation of Israel. I want you to check, check this out. Look at this accusation that, that the Lord brings against Israel. In Amos chapter 2, verse 6, it says this, This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. See, what we have to understand is that in this time, the land, it was, there was prosperity in the land. So there was lots of wealth. But instead of honoring the Lord with their wealth, Israel began to become self-indulgent. Instead of being generous to those who were in need, the rich began to take advantage of the poor. You see, the way we treat others, and I'm not just talking about those who are in need, but even the way that we treat people that are closest to us, the way we treat people we say we love, the way we treat them is a reflection of how we relate to God. You can write that in your notes. The way we relate to others, the way we treat others, I'm sorry, is a reflection of how we relate to God. If you ever want a temperature check of how your relationship with God is, take an honest look at the relationships around you. Your friends, your family, your coworkers, your acquaintances, even your enemies. What do your relationships look like? You know, I took a few days and I, and I did this, and I started to evaluate, especially the relationships closest to me. And it was so humbling to do because I've heard it said before that sometimes we take for granted those that are closest to us. And as I took an honest look and an honest evaluation at specifically my marriage and my kids, I didn't like what I saw. Because to be really honest with you, I, I do take them for granted sometimes. I do, and, and I'm not always grateful or patient. I mean, I'm, I'm totally grateful when they're sleeping and quiet. I mean, like, so grateful for that, right? But when they're whining and crying and screaming, I don't always appreciate them. I don't. I don't always appreciate them, and I get frustrated, and I get irritated, and I can throw tantrums like my two-year-old. You know, especially when I don't get what I want. And as I started to think about this and evaluate those relationships, I thought about how does this relate to, to God? How does it relate to my relationship with God? And, and I realized that I don't appreciate them because I'm not always cultivating an attitude of gratitude. If I'm really honest, I'm not always in that mindset of gratitude like I should be. And, and I'm, not, I, I'm not looking at the things that he's blessed me with. Sometimes I am looking at what's around me and wishing I had that instead of being grateful. And I get impatient and frustrated because I can easily forget 
the grace and the mercy that he pours upon me. And I can forget how desperately I need him. And when I throw tantrums, it's because I lose sight of my place before the king. I lose sight of my place before the king. And I realize that my relationships are directly impacted by how I relate to God. When we can correctly relate to God and his word, it's not just our relationships that are impacted, but it's our worship. Our worship and our entire being, our hearts and our minds are completely transformed. I want us to take a look at chapter four, starting in verse one. It says this, Hear the word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria. You women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. Hold up. Did he just say what I think he said? He called them cows? Women. Like, I mean, let's just let that sink in for a little bit. The Lord called the women cows. What? Crazy. I, okay, this is how I imagined it, right, when I read it. I was like, this is the part where they're all like, oh, he called them cows, and everyone's getting all nuts, right? And um, like, I mean, if someone called me a cow, I'd be like, what? Excuse me? Like, start taking off the earrings and putting up my hair, right? Like, like okay, auntie's going to come out. We're about to scrap, right? And, and like, <laughs> but let me just clarify something. When the Lord says that, he's not insulting them physically, In fact, back in that day, women who were voluptuous and curvy were admired because it was a sign of wealth. So, I mean, I wish I lived back then (laughs) because that would be great. Um, But so he's not insulting them because of how they look physically. But what he is doing is he's calling them out on how they live. He's calling them out on that. He says, you women oppress the poor and crush the needy to say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. You're oppressing them to get what you want. You're oppressing them for your own selfish gain. And God is fully calling them out on that. He continues in verse 4 and 5, and he says, Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. Burn leavened bread as a thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do, declares the sovereign Lord. God is telling them, go to these places, go to Bethel, go to Gilgal, the places that you set up to worship me. Bring your sacrifices and your offerings and your tithes because this is what you love to do. You like these things because it makes you look good. It makes you look good. It makes people think that you're holy. You probably even do it because it makes you feel good about yourself. It's okay that I live like this. It's okay that I treat people like this because I still bring my offering. I still bring my sacrifice and I still tithe. Let's bring it a little closer to home. It's okay that I treat people this way. It's okay that I act like that or I sin because I still go to church. I still watch online. I still tithe and I serve. It's okay, but it's not. It's not okay. It's not okay because, yes, while all these things are good, if your heart is not in it, it means nothing. If your heart is not changed, if your heart is not transformed, all these things, watching church online, tithing, serving, it means absolutely nothing. 
if your heart is not there. See, our worship to God cannot be about what makes me feel good. It can't be about what makes me look good. Our worship to him is what honors him. What is honoring to our God? What is pleasing to him? It cannot be about me. And this is where the Israelites had it twisted. Because it became about them. And sometimes, family, if we are not careful, we can do the same thing. So you can go ahead and write this in your notes, is that my worship to God cannot be about me cannot be about me. You see, when I'm influenced by his word and not the world, then I can correctly relate to God. And that's demonstrated in my worship, and that's demonstrated in how I treat others. Now, I told you this book was heavy, but thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus You see, after Amos brings all these accusations against Israel, he calls them to repentance. He calls them to repentance, and he says, the day of the Lord is coming. Now, again, Israel had some misconceptions about the day of the Lord because they thought the day of the Lord was going to bring comfort and consolation. And Israel, and and they got it twisted in their mind, and Amos is telling them, no, don't get it twisted. First, the day of the Lord brings judgment. Judgment against your sin. Judgment against what you've been doing, against how you've been living. You see, God will bring his judgment first because he's just and he's holy. But after, after will come the restoration. After will come the comfort and the consolation. And that's good news for you and me. Because the reality is, is there will be judgment. There will. There will be judgment, but God doesn't leave us in the ruins of that judgment. In fact, we don't even get the punishment that we deserve because Jesus took it for us on the cross. The truth is that you and I are more like the Israel nation than we want to admit sometimes. Our fallen nature is constantly at war with our spirit, constantly fighting for self versus fighting for righteousness. And that's why we so desperately need a Savior. We so desperately need a Savior. And the hope that we have is that we can cry out to God at any time and receive his mercy and his grace. The Bible tells us that when we confess with our mouths, then we confess our sins that he is faithful and just to forgive us. You see, God doesn't wait for us to get our act together before he pours out his mercy and his forgiveness. He's waiting for us to turn to him. He won't force us to repent. He waits. He's patiently waiting. And when we do turn, when we turn back to him, he generously pours out his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. Now, I don't know about you, but I sin. I still sin. I sin all the time, and it's comforting to know that he's right there with open arms. He's there with open arms, waiting for me to turn back to him. And I'm a firm believer that this is the life we are 
to cultivate as followers of Christ. That we are to be people who quickly turn back to our God when we go astray. That we are to be people who constantly cry out to him and seek his face. Because when we do, our lives and our entire being will be transformed. Will be continually transformed and in turn, we can go and transform the world around us. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you don't leave us in the ruins of our judgment or our destruction, but God, that you restore. God, that you heal. God, that you bring us to wholeness. God, that you sent your son for us. That he took my place and my punishment so that I don't have to. Father, tonight we ask for forgiveness. We ask for forgiveness for for being molded to the world rather than being molded to your word. And we ask for forgiveness, Lord, for, for just going through the motions and for not fully putting our heart in our worship. God, we thank you for your grace that consumes us, your forgiveness that floods us. Father, thank you for you. May we be people who constantly seek you, who constantly cry out to you. May we be people who are quick to return to you when we've gone astray, Lord. Help us. Help us, Lord, to stick close to you. Father, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close tonight and we sing my testimony, let's be transformed, and let our prayer be that we would be a testimony to the people around us. Amen.